0: So Kara kind of already gave you the rundown of some of the specific events. What I would just say is if there's one takeaway from this little brochure is that summer is a time to connect. It's a time to disconnect from work, a time to disconnect from devices, It's time to disconnect from stress. And it's a time to connect with other people and to connect with God. It may be the best time all year to do those things because things tend to to calm down a little bit so we're trying to facilitate that as much as possible by sponsoring these various events and opportunities but obviously at the end of the day it depends on you I hope you'll make the most of them whether you're new to lmcc whether you've been around a long time either way i hope you'll really jump in this summer and and maximize these 10 weeks from uh, starting next sunday the sunday after school gets out to labor day weekend So enough about that. Let's get into the the sermon this morning. We have a a one-off sermon, uh, not part of any series. We had a a gap week here. We're starting a new series next week. And so because this gap week happened to fall on Father's Day, and we already had a a Mother's Day sermon a a month back, I thought I'd I'd balance the scales and do a message on on fatherhood today. I mentioned back uh, during the the Mother's Day sermon that my wife Brittany is pregnant with our fourth daughter um yeah, thank you. Thank you. You know, a uh, little known fact, it's a 50-50 chance every time, by the way. <laughs> Most people don't don't realize that. So this is like like flipping a coin four times and getting tails every single time. There's only a 6% chance of that happening. Um but anyway, uh <laughs> it's just for free. Um So I've I've become I'm about to become a, a father for the fourth time over in six years, which means I've had fatherhood on the brain recently. And and what that means is that I have come to understand in a new way a truth that I've heard all my life, heard all the time, grown up in church, but didn't really come home to me until recently. One of the most astonishing, if not the most astonishing, truths that Jesus came to teach us is that God wants us to relate to him not primarily as our judge not primarily as our king not primarily as our creator but God wants us to relate to him primarily as a father and he uses all those other things too of course but primarily first and foremost God wants us to relate to him as a father and that's not obvious. That may seem obvious to you if, you if you're familiar with Christianity, but it's not obvious. No other religion places this emphasis on God as Father like Christianity does. Over 150 times in the Gospels, Jesus calls God Father. And one of the, the biggest bombshells he ever drops, the, the two words that change the world, were when his disciples come and say, Lord, teach us to pray, and he says, well, the way you start is our Father. So if we're supposed to relate to, to God as a father, that hits different people in different ways. For some of you, that's immediately received as good news, because you had a great relationship with your dad growing up. Maybe you still do. He was this great guy. And uh, so this idea of relating to God like that is the easiest thing in the world. It's great. It's, it's intuitively appealing. For others of you, this idea that you're supposed to relate to God as a father is actually immediately received as, as bad news. as as negative because you didn't have a great relationship with your dad growing up or maybe he wasn't around very much or it just didn't feel like you had access to him. Maybe there was some bad things that happened uh, with respect to your relationship with your dad. And so this idea that you're supposed to relate to God like that, uh, that makes God feel harder to relate to than ever before. And what we're hitting on here is that the way we relate to our Heavenly Father is in large part determined, at least early on, by the, by the way we relate it to our earthly father, which is why fatherhood is such a big deal. Human fatherhood is such a big deal. Because a father's main job, his main responsibility, is to teach his children what God is like. So a bad father tells lies about God every day to his kids without even meaning to. And then even the best father still is still a flawed human being, still imperfect. So what that means is that every single one of us, regardless of what kind of father we had, have have mistaken ideas about God. And we have to do some work if we want to get at this father God and see what he's really like. So that's what I want us to do this morning. I want to dive into this work of seeing how good a father God really is. We're going to look at four qualities of God as a father, the Many more than this, but we only have time for four this morning. First, he's generous. Second, he's compassionate. Third, he's near. And fourth, he's strong. Those will be the four sections to this morning's sermon. He's generous, he's compassionate, he's near, and he's strong. So first, he's generous, and we have a a passage of Scripture for each of these four points, a passage or a compilation of verses, so you can follow along with me on your program, or you can read along on the screen as well. If you look at this first passage on your program, talking about his generosity. Jesus, these are famous excerpts from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray, our Father. Do not worry about your life. Look at the birds. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The most profound question of human existence is not, is there a God? The most profound question of human existence is, if there is a God, does he care about me? And Jesus answers that question with a resounding yes. Yes, he cares about you. He's your father. Do you care about your children? So how much more, then, as a better father than you could ever hope to be? Does he care about you, and will he provide for your needs? If that's true, then what that means is, and Jesus says this, that there's two things that are inappropriate for God's children to do, two things that are out of line. The first is to engage in elaborate begging, so this is not on your program, but right before the the Lord's Prayer, there's this section where Jesus says, here's how not to pray. What I don't want you to do is I don't want you to keep babbling. I don't want you to be like those people who just keep babbling, thinking that they're going to be heard for their many words. God hates that. Do you know that God has pet peeves? God has pet peeves, and w- one of God's pet peeves jesus says is prayers that go on too long he says don't don't be like that he's your father you don't have to go through this whole routine just ask him and then he, he goes on with the the lord's prayer our father you know give us this day, our daily bread forgive us our debts one of the more remarkable things about the lord's prayer is how short it is those of you who are dads you know think how about how your kids are with you if they need something They just come to you. They need money for, you know, whatever, such and such. And they just, their hand is already outstretched. They expect to get it. Can I I have money for such and such? Why? Because they know that you can do it, and they know that you want to do it. But how would you feel if instead your child came to you and got down on their knees and said, Oh, Father, oh, dear Father, consider me here upon my knees making this (laughs) supplication before thee. I know I'm unworthy, but could you please, I know I shouldn't trouble you, but might you please give me a little bit of your spare change? Now, you know, would, you would be standing there thinking, what are you doing? Cut Cut to the chase. And Jesus says that God is up in heaven saying, what are you doing? Cut to the chase. I know what you need before you ask me. I want to provide for you. So just ask. It's the first thing it's inappropriate to do. second thing it's inappropriate for children of God to do is not only to engage in elaborate begging, but it's also inappropriate to worry. This is that famous passage where Jesus says not to worry. And the rationale is the same here. It's, it's none of your business. As a child of God, every time you worry about anything, what that means is you're doubting God's generosity and you're doubting God's willingness to provide for you. So, so same thing, you know, imagine your, your child, you come in one morning and you see your son or daughter looking really down and depressed and you say, what's, what's wrong? And they say, well, you know, it's nothing. I just, I was looking in the, the pantry and it's looking a little bare. And I don't know, I guess I just was starting to feel a little bit worried, that's all. You feel hurt. Why? Because it's none of their business. They're stepping on your toes by worrying about that sort of thing. Worrying isn't so much bad or wrong as it is rude. It's rude to worry. It's rude, because you're acting like God doesn't have it under control, and you're doubting his generosity. You're doubting that he actually wants to take care of you. Jesus says that's what unbelievers do. Don't you know unbelievers worry about all this stuff? As a child of God, the whole point is that you don't have to anymore, so don't worry. It's the first quality of God as a father, first section of the sermon is he's generous. He provides for our needs. Number two, secondly, not only is he generous, but he's a father who is compassionate. Let's look at the second passage there on your insert. This is Psalm 103. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. What all the, the commentators on this passage will say is that that word compassion was very prominent in the passage. It comes up a couple of times, keeps being repeated. The Hebrew word there that's being translated compassion is this intensely emotional word, this deep love, this cherishing, this tender affection. And it's saying that that's what God feels toward us, this compassion for us. Why? The psalm tells us because he knows that we are dust, In other words, he knows we're just human beings. He knows we're frail. He knows we're weak. He knows we're limited. Which means that when we're going through something, when we're hurting, he's not thinking, oh, just get over it. He's not saying, oh, just be a big boy, be a big girl, stop crying. Instead, he's actually drawn closer to us, and his own heart hurts with us. Uh, A couple of summers ago, we went on a vacation for a week to the beach, and Reese, our oldest, who was two at the time, so I guess this was four years ago. She's six now. Uh, on, the, on the first day of the vacation, we're standing on the beach and she just starts screaming uncontrollably. She's off a little ways and she's just, just hysterical. And at first we couldn't figure out what was wrong, but finally we figured out that she had been bitten on the bottom of her foot by some sort of little bug or, or sand flea or something. So she finally calmed down, but then what happened was, so this was day one, what it meant was that for the rest of the entire week she was a psychological wreck she she didn't want to walk anywhere she didn't want to put her feet on the ground inside or outside. And anything that moved in the air, any sound she heard that she didn't recognize, she would start freaking out. And she'd say, she, she called it a buggy. She'd say, it's a buggy. It's a buggy. And she would she would freeze, and then she would start, you know, sobbing. Um, so that's day one. We had to, ev- everywhere we went for the entire week, we had to carry her. We had to rearrange the entire week now around her weakness. How did that make me feel? As a father, it made me feel frustrated. Make me feel annoyed. Actually, no, the opposite. It made me feel closer to her than ever before because I saw how much she was hurting, and I hurt with her. And those of you who have gone through things far more trying than that with your kids, you know the same thing. That as as you go through that with them, you actually feel closer to them than ever before. That's how God is with us. Now, I wish that that story with Reese ended there. Because um, it would make me seem like a really great dad, um, but there's actually there's actually a second part to the story, which just for the sake of honesty, I feel like I have to to share with you as well. So this was uh, this was a long time later. This was like six months later, and Reese, we're back at home. She'd still been struggling with the same fear, you know, continually. So it was this ongoing thing. And any, like, little particle or speck that she'd see around the house, it's, it's buggy, it's a buggy, and we'd have to say, no, no, look, it's just, you know, a piece of dirt or whatever. So finally, she starts to make progress, and she starts to, on her own initiative, identify things that she f- at first thinks are a buggy and then says not. So, for instance, one day she, she walks up to me, she's got this little piece of fuzz in her hand, and she says, look, Dad, it's just a piece of fuzz. And I said, yeah, that's right, Reese, it's just a piece of fuzz. And I don't know what happened that day. I mean, it's been six months, so you have to give me a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here because this has been trying. But, but something in that moment, the darkest part of my heart, uh, suggested this idea. And I, I took the piece of fuzz and I threw it up in the air and I said, oh, It's a buggy. And, yeah, right. Now, you're never going to listen to anything I say again. Um, so she she first jumped, you know, and got really scared. And then she saw that it wasn't. It was just a piece of huzz, And she looked at me, and she just she just turned around. She didn't say anything. She turned around and walked over to the couch and just laid her head down on the couch, completely silent. And so I said, Reese, you know, c- come over here, come over here. And she, so she gets up and comes over, and I said, Reese, I'm, I'm really really sorry i shouldn't have done that and you know silence doesn't say anything so again i say reese i'm i'm really really sorry and when somebody says they're really sorry what you say is i forgive you i love that i'm already the moral authority again now you know (laughs) and what's what you say is i forgive you and she looks at me and she says i have to go now dad (laughs) she turns around and leaves so the whole rest of that day, you know, she's two and a half. The whole rest of that day, I'm saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Every time, nothing, you know, just turns away. And finally that night, as I'm putting her to bed, I said one more time, you know, Reese, I'm really, really sorry. I didn't say anything about forgiveness that time. And finally she said, I forgive you, Dad, and gave me a big hug. But, but the point of all of that is, God's not like that. God God doesn't... <laughs> exploit our weaknesses. He doesn't do stuff just to screw with us and to to get a laugh. Rather, he's compassionate. He's unfailingly compassionate. Even when our patience would be tried, he's compassionate all the way to the end. He feels closer to us when we're hurting. That's number two. Third, this morning, not only is he generous and not only is he compassionate, but third, he's a father who is near. Let's look at this third set of verses on your program. We praise you, God. We praise you, For your name is near. The Lord is near to all who call on him. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. God did this so people would reach out for him and find him, since he is not far from each of us. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. The popular idea about God is that he's very far away, and he's very busy. And that idea probably comes from a number of different places, but it comes most of all from the failings of our human fathers who are too often far away or very busy. You know, there's this uh, debate going on in the parenting literature. I don't know if you've you've kept up with this this debate about which is it that kids need for their development and which kind of affects their outcomes more. Is it the the quality time from parents or is it the quantity time? And both sides have their their studies that they support to say this is what it is, and they're they're arguing against one another and trying to to, to disprove the other and say it's this or it's that. And it's obvious why. You know, the stay-at-home parents want it to be quantity time so they can feel like my kids better off even if I'm not engaging with them, they're better off. The working parents want to feel like it's quality time, so they don't have to feel guilty about not being there all the time. So the question is, which is it? which? Are the t- who's right? And, and the answer is that the, the thing that's so silly about the debate is that it's obviously both. Kids obviously have to have both. This this uh, relationship with the parent is essentially the kid's emotional food. It's their emotional nourishment. So if you think about you know f- actual food, if it's like having a debate about well which is more important for a kid. Is it quality of food or is it quantity of food? You know, is it better if they have really high quality food and, you know, protein and vegetables, but not quite enough? You know, they're always deficient in calories. Or is it better if they have quantity food, but really low quality, you know, just pure carbs or whatever it is? And the answer is, well, neither one is good. Kids need both. They need quantity and quality. So it's not enough to be all around all the time if you're not engaged, but it's also not enough to just try to schedule in these few hours that are going to be really high quality. And the reason that that second one doesn't work is because quantity begets quality. You have to have quantity if those quality moments are going to happen. You know, the, the highest quality type of interaction with your kids of all, way, way more important than making memories or fun or, or these, you know, uh, great, like laughing times together. Most important of all is these heart to heart conversations where both people, both the parent and the child, both parties are open and both parties are listening and both parties are being vulnerable and transparent. If that's going to happen, it, it only happens if you're near. If you're near not just physically, but if you're near emotionally, if you're emotionally accessible. But what doesn't work, and you've probably tried this like I have, is to schedule those quality conversations. You know, how does it work for you if you try to engage your kid in conversation? You say, you know, how was was school today? You try to ask them about their friends, ask them about their interests. You always get one word answers. And a lot of times they actually get annoyed with you. And the, the reason for that is not because they're punks. I know that's what you, what you think it is. But the reason they do that is because you ignored them earlier. You know, you weren't ready to talk to them when they had a question for you. And now you're saying, well, let's have a relationship on my terms. I've got five minutes. I'd like to check the parenting box. I'd like to have a very high-quality conversation with you right now. So let's, let's talk. And they're going to say, no, they're not going to play that game. If you want those quality conversations to happen, it means being near, not just physically, but emotionally, and being able to be interrupted. If your kid knows that they can come and interrupt you anytime, that you're going to be emotionally accessible to them, not when you need them, but when they need you. If they know that, then watch how they come and talk to you. And that's how God is with us. He's a father who is near. Even though he's God and we're us, he still lets us have the relationship on our terms. He's always listening. He's always ready to talk. He's always accessible. He's never too busy. You don't have to schedule and make an appointment. He's a father who is near. Fourth and finally this morning, lastly, not only is he a father who's generous and compassionate and near, but lastly, he's a father who is strong. Strength is, is probably the most stereotypical fatherly trait of all, you know, everybody knows that fathers are supposed to be strong, everybody wants their father to be strong. I was walking by uh, PS234 the other day and heard one kid taunting another little boy uh, with the, the, the classic boast, you know, I bet my dad could beat up your dad. And, and the other kid said, big deal, so can my mom. Which I thought was, was interesting. We know fathers are supposed to be strong. And that's not always the case. It's not always the case that they're strong. You know, right now, uh, my girls think that I can do anything. They think I'm strong enough to do anything. They can't think I can afford anything. They think I can be stopped by nothing. But one day, they're going to grow up, and they're going to come to see, well, actually, Dad has limits. Dad is actually kind of weak in certain areas. And that's a, that's a sad day, for me. It's a sad day for, for them though, too, because what what the case is, you probably know where I'm going with this at this point in the sermon, you don't graduate from that desire to have a father who's strong. This desire to have a father who's strong and powerful and can take care of any situation, and can protect you, that's not something that all of a sudden goes away when you grow up. That's not just the desire of every boy and girl. That's the desire of every man and woman. And what that desire points to is God the Father, who is strong. Let's look at these last verses, this last passage on your insert. Sovereign Lord, you have begun to show to your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Summon your power, God. Show us your strength, our God, as you have done before. For nothing is impossible with God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You say, okay, so so God's this Father who's strong. You know, There's some verses talk about how infinitely strong he is. Those are inspiring verses. But my question is, if, if that's true... Why are our prayers sometimes not answered then? Why do dreams still fail then? Why do these terrible things still happen? Then? You know, For instance, where was this strong, powerful God who's a loving father in Charleston on Wednesday night? And that is a, a very legitimate question. It's a question that we've given a whole uh, sermon to many times before, so we're not going to have time to get into it this morning. Uh, and even if we gave a whole series to it, it 's not a question that we could ever answer with any true satisfaction, this question of why God, if he is strong enough to protect us and if he does love us like a father, allows these things to, to happen to us. The whole book of Job in the Bible is just one long, ranting, raving, emotionally charged debate. On this question, The Bible doesn't give pat answers to this question. It has a bunch of people arguing about it, and they themselves don't ever come up with an answer. So we're not going to answer it this morning either. The one thing I do want to say about it is that when these things happen, there's always a side of it that we don't see. Uh, because there's, there's more going on than just this life. You know, there's this place in, in John chapter 10 where Jesus, he's comparing himself to a shepherd and, and us to sheep. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. And no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. And what he's talking about there is that whatever may happen to you in this life, whatever evil may come in this life that doesn't affect your safety in this eternal sense. It's not going to let anybody anybody snatch you out of his hand. So, you know, this this question, where was God in Charleston on Wednesday night, the, the answer to that is he was right there holding those nine people. He was there with them just as they are with him now. You know, the irony of that question is the only people who aren't asking where was God, are those nine people. Because they're the ones that know now better than they ever knew before that he was holding them the entire time. And, and saying that, I'm not, I'm not trying to say, oh, it's no big deal. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't be angry about racism and violence or that we shouldn't be mobilizing to fight racism and violence because we obviously should, and Christians should be leading the charge. All I'm saying is that just because these things happen, that doesn't mean that God is somehow not a father who's strong, and not a father who's caring, because there's more than, than we can see. So that's it this morning. Those are the, the four sections of the sermon, four qualities. of oh God, as Father, I wish we had time for more. He's, he's generous, he's compassionate, he's near, and he's strong. And the way I want to close the sermon is by going back and kind of looking back over the, the whole of it, those four qualities, and asking two questions that have been kind of lurking in the background, two underlying questions that we haven't had a chance to address until now. First question is how can I be a father like this? You know, that's my thought. As I go through this sermon and we talk about these qualities, is I want to be a dad like that. I want my daughters to say those things about me, that I'm generous and compassionate and near and strong. So how do you get there? And the answer to that is the, the only way to be a father like that is to have a father like that. You say, well, what are you trying to say? You're saying if I didn't have a good dad, then therefore I can't be a good dad and my children are doomed. No, I'm not trying to say that at all. Uh, my my grandfather on my dad's side, my dad's dad has struggled with uh, mental illness and with alcoholism his entire life. So he's uh, growing up, uh, my dad's home was very volatile and my, my grandfather was very verbally abusive, wasn't around very much. It was a very bad situation. And yet I grew up with just about the the best dad a person could hope for. So what happened there? What happened was in high school, my dad met a better father. He found out about a father who had a love beyond anything he could imagine, he found a father that had these qualities that his dad didn't have. And so then he was able to, through that relationship with that father, become that sort of father to me, be generous and compassionate and near and strong for me. And not only that, but introduce me to that same better father who is even more generous, more compassionate, nearer and stronger than, than he could ever be. So the only way to be a father like this is to have a father like this. The second question that's been lurking in the background all morning is, how do you know? You know, you, you say that this is what God is like. You say these are his, his qualities as a father. You read us a few verses. But how do you know? How do you really know that this is what God is like? What we said at the beginning is that Jesus came to tell us about God as a father and to tell us what God is like. But it's actually more than that. He didn't come just to tell us what God is like as a father. He came to show us what God is like as a father. And he shows us through his life. It's on every page of the Gospels. But more than anything else, he shows us what God as a father is like through his death and through his resurrection. So it's not until we see Jesus on the cross that we know for sure that God is is generous, that God will provide. Paul has that line, He who did not spare even His own Son, how will He not also give us everything else? It's not until we see Jesus on the cross that we know for sure that God is compassionate, compassionate to the point of being willing to take our hurts, our sins, our failings upon Himself, even to the point of breaking His own body. It's not until we see Jesus on the cross that we know that God is near. He comes so near to us, he's so accessible and so vulnerable to us, that he doesn't even turn us away when we come to arrest him and kill him. And it's when we see Jesus risen from the grave that we know that God is strong. Strong enough to conquer death, strong enough to take everything that's weighing us down, not only lift it, but lift us to new life. That's how we know. That's how we know through the death and resurrection of Christ. And that's when you look, where you look, when you start to to doubt. You know, when the prayer isn't answered or when things don't go the way they're supposed to go or when everything is falling apart. Don't doubt God's compassion and his generosity and his nearness and strength. What you do is you look to Christ crucified and Christ risen to have your faith restored. Let's pray. God, this idea that you want us to relate to you as a father, this close relationship of of parent to child. Uh, if If it's new to us, we don't really know quite what to make of it. Like we talked about, we see you as distant, we see you as busy, we see you as begrudging us help, and this thought that you want us to just come to you as your children and trust you, trust your generosity and your compassion, and depend upon your nearness and your strength It's too much for us. And we know that it's something that will only come home to us, not through a sermon, but through the power of your Spirit. So I ask that your Spirit would come now. I ask that your Spirit would take these truths and light them on fire, pierce our hearts with them, drive them into us so that we believe them even beyond what we can reason, even beyond our logic and our understanding. These truths become a part of us and a part of the way we see the world and a part of the way we relate to you. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, who came to show us what you're like. Amen.